Good morning and welcome. How are you? Uh, as you've noticed, uh, there's a newsletter uh, in your bulletin, and uh, we appreciate the efforts of Ellen Carr to put that together. Uh, we do that once a month. Um, and just some uh, good articles and, and also to some information what's going on around here. Perhaps maybe an addendum to what we have uh, put in the bulletin. And so with that, let's turn our Bibles. Uh, we are in Revelation uh, chapter 20, uh, verses 1 through 10. I'm reminded of uh, the fact that when we speak about Labor Day, you would think that would be a day that we work. No, that's a day that we take off. That's a way that, the day that we don't. That's, 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 that's American mentality. <laughs> but I was kind of thinking in a biblical sense, uh, you know, the Bible in Hebrews reminds us that we have, uh, as we have entered in uh, to the work of Jesus Christ, we rest from our labors um, and we enter in through belief as we believe in what he has done, his work. Uh, when we think about his work, it's accomplished on Calvary, on the cross, and there's nothing we can do to earn that. Amen? Uh, we simply believe and we trust uh, on what he has wonderfully done uh, for each and every one of us. Uh, we're in, uh, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand, we'll get one to you. Uh, verse 1 of Revelation 20. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven and having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should not deceive the nations, um, or that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, and who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. And this is the first resurrection. I, 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 I am convinced that the latter part of verse 5 belongs to verse 6. This is the first resurrection, for blessed and holy is he, or she, who has part in the first resurrection, and over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now when the thousand years had expired, Satan will be released from his prison, and will go out to deceive the nations uh, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, uh, references to northern Europe, uh, which would be uh, Russia today. Uh, we see also to this reference for this same people group over in Ezekiel 38. And to them they gather together to battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth, 
and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, that's the Jerusalem. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, as we read last week. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, once again, as we read about this future event, how thankful we are. Thankful to be saved. Thankful, Lord, that we are rescued, Lord, from that. And yet, Lord, uh, we have a lot of work to do. Lord, you've called us, Lord, to be your representatives. Lord, to declare the good news that frees people. Lord, to, and one of the difficult uh, challenges, uh, dear Lord, that we have uh, is to warn people. We don't like warning people. And people don't like being warned. But yet I pray that you'd give us, uh, Father, wisdom and faith uh, and our own specific ability, Lord, to communicate truth. Lord, to, to share um, not only the deliverance that we have, but what we're being delivered from. And, and we see that here as we've been reading, uh, Lord, in these, these latter chapters of the book of Revelation, Lord, um, this terrible, dreadful time that's coming upon the earth that, Lord, uh, we, we may have our ticket punched, but, Lord, we don't want to be discontent with that. Many we know, many we love, Lord, will be facing um, an uncertain future because they don't know you. So, Lord, uh, we're thankful for the grace we have. And, Father, we pray that, uh, Lord, the things that we consider this morning, the things that we, Lord, think upon and meditate upon, that, Lord... Uh, you would give us wisdom. And Lord, uh, may we not be as those who, who only read the Bible. And it's like the person, as James speaks about, who sees their face in a mirror. Uh, they see something uh, about themselves, perhaps, that, that needs fixing or changing. Uh, and yet, to walk away from the mirror and to forget all about it. Lord, we don't want to walk away from, Lord, the study of your word. I want to benefit from it, Lord. We realize, Lord, there's eternal benefit, Lord, as we, uh, as we study the, the scriptures and as we, Lord, um, learn these things and, and uh, draw upon them, Lord. So, Father, uh, thank you, Lord, for those that are here. Thank you for this time. Um, meet with us now, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, we entitled um, our message uh, this morning, Thy kingdom come, his will be done. Uh, that's a prayer that has been prayed thousands, uh, tens of thousands, perhaps millions of times. Um, and, and now we see that coming to pass here uh, in this particular uh, aspect of the future that we find here in Revelation. Uh, the battle of Armageddon is over. And uh, the Antichrist and all of his armies they have been dispatched, really, with a word. Um, you know, it wasn't any great contest when you think about it for when Christ returns uh, to defeat his enemies. Um, and uh, uh, he's dispatched very, very quickly, very briefly. And we find here uh, that uh, a singular angel 
uh, takes uh, the devil and uh, you know, apprehends him and throws him in uh, a prison for which he will be there for a thousand years. You know, there are some people that think that, um, and it's kind of like it's Eastern religion, uh, where people think that uh, the devil and God are on equal footing. Uh, you know, there's a thing in Taoism and Buddhism uh, called uh, yin and yang, and it's, uh, the idea is there, and sometimes you see the symbol, sometimes you've seen that symbol, uh, and it, uh, it's hard for me to describe, uh, but it's a circular symbol, and it has two equal forces, you know, going against each other. Uh, and many people think that, you know, the universe, you know, the power of the universe is sort of in balance kind of a thing, uh, which people think that basically, and again, the one power is evil, the one power uh, is good in, in, in God and so forth. Uh, but the fact of the matter is the Bible very clearly delineates for us uh, that there is none like the Lord. We were singing that. We were singing that this morning. Uh, he has no equal. Uh, he, you know, he is the power. So the mere fact that, uh, you know, we've hitched our wagon to him, so to speak, um, and uh, he is, you know, he's granted us this awesome salvation. Um, you know, we know, the world doesn't know that, but we know that there's really no, there's no power. Nothing can stand against the Lord. Over in uh, Isaiah 46, Isaiah states it like this, to whom will you liken me, God says, uh, or make me equal and compare me uh, that we should be alike. Then in verse 9 he says, For I am God and there is none other. I am God and there is none like me. And we need to remember that. Um, you know, the matchless perfections, you know, of our God. Um, and, and the Bible reminds us sometimes when we uh, have to face off with, with evil, uh, we have our, you know, trials and so forth, and there's times where the enemy just, so we call it spiritual warfare, where we, feel, we actually feel like we're being attacked. Uh, remember this, greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. And, uh, you know, sometimes you see believers uh, like they're always fighting the devil. Uh, the fact of the matter is the war's already been won uh, on our behalf, and we just, we enter in. Uh, that's why we're reminded we have, you know, we have some uh, offensive weapons. Uh, we need to make sure that we have on the helmet of salvation, that we're saved people. Uh, we need to make sure, you know, that we have on that, that you know, that shield of faith and the, the breastplate of the righteousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we've got a, we've got a tremendous weapon. We've got the, the Word of God. And I've always likened, I've always likened prayer to be the, the cruise missile, if you will. Um, you can disrupt, you know, the work of the enemy, um, you know, by prayer. You know, you think about somebody, maybe he's in a really difficult place. Uh, maybe somebody's struggling spiritually. Maybe somebody's in bondage. Uh, you know, we have a great weapon, the great weapon of prayer uh, that we can pray and see our adversary defeated. Now, this angel we find in verse 1, to me, no doubt that this is Michael the archangel. We remember we find him over in chapter 12. He's the commanding general there. Um, and basically, you know, the commanding general over the angelic forces, and they're contending there with the devil at that particular time and throwing him out of heavenly places. Um, and here we find him with the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain, you know, in his hand. And we're told in verse 2 uh, that he lays hold of the dragon, and we get, uh, we get here four different descriptions and names. Uh, he's the dragon, the serpent of old, the devil, and Satan. Uh, and we're told that he's bound for a thousand years, and he's cast into the bottomless pit and shut, up, shut him up so that he deceives the nations no more uh, for a thousand years. You know, when I think of verse 2 and th verse 3, man, doesn't that deserve an amen? <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I mean, we're contending, we're dealing with that, we're seeing the evil, you know, uh, unfold in our world, in our culture. Uh, remember that the millennial reign, is not, that's not going to be. He's going to be bound, you know, with a chain, you know, in that bottomless pit for a thousand years. Now, the thing that we find here, this is a literal future event. Now, there are those, there's a theology that basically says that this is all symbolic and allegorical. Uh, it's kind of a figurative thing. And, uh, and the belief is that we are in the millennium now. And, uh, and, and so this whole, they believe that, that, he, that he was, uh, you know, the, de the devil was bound at the cross. Uh, well, he certainly was bound at the cross regarding the limited power that the devil has against you and me. Amen? Amen. Okay. But I tell you what, he is, he is free and at large uh, in our world today. Uh, you know, again, if he is bound in a pit, you know, what about all the mayhem? What about all the murder? What about the war? What about the violence and all those other things that are going on? Uh, so it's important, again, when we look at the Bible, we look at these things. Yes, we see some things that are symbolic, but we have to differentiate between them. But when we see this here, this thousand years, it's, it's a literal time period. We find the reference of a thousand years six different times in our passage uh, that's here this morning. And we're told here uh, that after these things, he must be, that is the devil, must be re released for a little while. The word in the Greek is actually uh, chronos, where we get the word chronology or the word time. And in one translation, it refers basically to a short time. So in other words, we're speaking about literal time here. Uh, that's why sometimes you have to be, uh, you know, I think sometimes Christians, um, when you get into allegorical and figurative kind of things, um, that you don't, uh, that you don't uh, sort of spiritualize truth and literalness out of the Bible. And many people do that. Uh, that's something that uh, within, uh, you know, certain Christian circles, they've done that uh, for a long time. Like, for instance, there wasn't really a true, um, you know, there isn't a true devil. There's just, you know, evil that goes on in the world. There, there wasn't a true Jonah. Uh, he didn't get swallowed by a whale. And, uh, you know, many different things. So I think what that does is, is it, counts, it, counts, it casts rather doubts and dispersions, you know, on the Bible where we begin, well, I don't know what's true anymore. And I think that's a dangerous point when we get to that kind of place uh, where we're not really sure, you know, what's literal or what's true and that sort of thing. Um, and before you know it, we find ourselves just simply discounting, you know, the things in the Bible that, uh, that are true when God is indeed speaking to us. Uh, so again, the, as far as the devil being bound, he is only bound in a sense as far as his ability to touch the life of a believer. Remember John says the wicked one touches us not. And, uh, and, and any time that, uh, you know, any time that evil is allowed to impact our life in some kind of way, we know also too as we read the story of Job um, that uh, that has to come by the permission of God. It has to come through the grid of God's plan and purpose, you know, for our lives. And so we know that God is wonderfully faithful. He protects us. He watches, he watches over us. He wonderfully cares for us. Now, the scene shifts over in verse 4, and it moves back here to a judicial setting. Uh, what we see here is there are several th thrones in view uh, because there is simply a judgment. There's a judgment that takes place right after the, the tribulation period. Now, this is not the great white throne judgment. Okay, we're going to see that. We'll see that later. 
But what this is referred to oftentimes is the sheep and the goat judgment. In other words, those who have basically come through, the, those who survived the tribulation, uh, those that have taken the mark of the beast, uh, you know, whether, you know, however they've taken it, they've given their allegiance over to the Antichrist, they will be judged at that point. And we're told basically they will go alive. Uh, they, will go, they will not be allowed to, to pass into the millennial earth as a human being. They will be judged. They will be sent right to hell. Um, that will be, that's why the warning we have had a number of times, and we see it here once again. Uh, for those that are alive during that period, they must not give their allegiance. And there's going to be great pressure on humanity because the Antichrist is going to control the economy of the world, uh, and you're not going to be able to buy or sell or do anything unless you take his mark, uh, however that is. And we've talked about you know, some different kinds of technologies and things of that nature when we were back there in chapter 13. Um, but it's very important. We've, we find it reiterated over and over again, this warning by the Spirit of God. And that's one thing I think many different believers um, you know, when you come to Christ and you first read the book of Revelation, you start telling people, you start telling people uh, that are unbelievers, make sure you don't take the mark of the beast, uh, you know, because basically uh, people are going to be judged for that. And the people, that, the survivors, the survivors of the tribulation period, in other words, those who survived it, they've put their faith in Christ, uh, they didn't take the mark of the beast, and they survived that incredible seven-year terrible period. These individuals will go alive. They will go alive, you know, into the millennial earth. These will be the people that will repopulate the earth. Because remember, after the judgments of these seven years, the earth is going to be decimated. It's going to be practically destroyed. Look, you know, when we read about what takes, takes place uh, to the oceans, um, and there's such incredible devastation, God's going to renovate the earth. There's going to be a total renovation, you know, of the earth, um, and the millennial earth is going to be oversaw you know, seen actually by the Lord, um, and no doubt we're going to be there with him. We're going to be there with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, that's why it's important to be faithful to him now. You know, the Bible, as parable, Jesus has different parables about our, uh, what our faithfulness is going to do for us in that next age, in that next period. Um, you know, individuals are going to be given uh, power over cities, uh, you know, as overseers. Uh, it's hard to describe exactly what it's going to be like, uh, but the fact of the matter is you're going to have a key position of authority for your faithfulness to Jesus Christ in this life. So it's very, very critical, very important. Um, and, and, and Jesus reminds us that we're going to rule and reign with him. We see this. We see this earlier in Revelation. Uh, over in uh, Matthew Let's see, Matthew 19, I'll read this to you. Um, Jesus said to them, uh, Assuredly I say to you, now he's speaking to them in relation to, the, they just got done dealing with a rich young ruler. And this is a guy that couldn't let go of things. Remember, you know, he walked, he went away sorrowful. Said Jesus loved him. Um, and said, you know, basically, you know, sell all you have and follow me. And he couldn't do it. He went away sorrowful. Now he looks at the disciples just after this event, and he says to them, uh, he says to them relative to the future because of their sacrifice now, he says, Assuredly I say to you that in the regeneration, and he's looking forward to the regeneration of the earth, the millennial reign, uh, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory in Jerusalem, you who have followed me 
will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So again, for faithfulness in this age. Um, you know, there's great responsibility uh, that we have an authority that we have, you know, over in the millennial kingdom. Now, if we might say, well, well, technically, was Jesus speaking to the 12 apostles, the disciples? Yes, he was. But what about us? Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul nails it down for you and me. In chapter 6, verse 2 and 3, he says this, Do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Now, we will be right with the, the standing there with the Lord regarding those judgments. But I think also, too, in the millennial kingdom, there will be judgments that we will make. As we're given positions to rule over. And if the world will be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Now, what Paul's speaking about here in relation to the Corinthians started going to law and suing one another and hiring lawyers to sue them. And, and the, the point that Paul's making here is you're going to judge the angels. Why can't you guys settle matters between yourself? <laughs> and he goes on to say this. Do you not know we shall judge angels? <laughs> How much more things that pertain to this life. So, man, when you think about that future day, um, man, important to be faithful now, isn't it? And it's important to live for Jesus because this is passing away, folks. This is tentative. This is all temporary stuff. And there's something in our human nature where we just we want to rest. And that's why many people want to make this heaven on earth. Folks, it ain't heaven on earth. And for a lot of people, it's hell on earth. And that's why it's not about feathering our nest. It's not, it's not about living palatially or luxuriously. It, it's, it's living for Jesus. We need to keep the goal in mind, amen? amen. A lot of times we drop the ball. You know, we kind of get distracted by life itself. We've got to keep the goal in mind. How quickly, how quickly. I was just thinking this morning, uh, September 2nd, 1968. I was being inducted into the Marine Corps. But what's interesting about that was, that's 50 years ago. It's like, my, 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 where did 50 years go? Where did it go? Because I still feel like I'm 18. <laughs> but no, no kidding aside, don't you feel much younger than what your, maybe your birth date is. You know why that is? You have God's eternal spirit in your life. We are going to live for beyond the vanishing point. We are going to live for trillions and trillions, not just trillions of years, trillions of eons. And there is something, there's something rejuvenating about, the, about knowing Christ, about having him in your life. There's a sense of, you know, I think it's just a sense of expectation. Because God's always got something more for us. I've seen some young people in their 20s, and they're old. They're old. I mean, if you don't have Christ, you don't have life. He's eternal life. I get a little cardboard thing in my office. I have had it for years. Christ is life, it says. The rest are details. 
Now, the first group we have here uh, in verse 4 is the faithful martyrs. Uh, he says, I saw thrones, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who were beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. Then we see group number uh, two here, who, those who had not worshipped a beast uh, or his image and received uh, his mark in their forehead. So this group here is the tribulation survivors. But then we have a third group here in verse 5. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. I really think, you know, when, you, when it comes to verses that are inserted there, they are not necessarily inspired. Even some of the chapter breaks are not always inspired. And I think uh, the very last part of chapter 5 actually belongs to verse 6 here. Because we're speaking here about the, 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 the first resurrection. But what he's talking about here in verse this third group here is these unbelieving dead that are in Hades. They will, not, they will basically be resurrected at the white throne judgment. And that is the second resurrection. You see, there's a first resurrection. And it's all those who believe will be a part of that first resurrection. He, he says, blessed and holy. Um, is he who has part in the first resurrection over such the second death has no power. And they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So again, this first resurrection, it began with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, it includes all those that have died in Christ, the rapture, and those also in the tribulation period that will be martyred. You see, this, this first resurrection comes in four stages, and, and I'll give you the references here. It comes in four distinct stages. First and foremost, it's the resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 23. Paul delineates that. 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter. Chapter 15, verse 23. First is the resurrection of Christ. Secondly is the, res the rapture of the church. It, it's a form of the resurrection. It's, it's God delivering the church out of this terrible time. We talked about that. And again, there's other theologies where, where believers um, are thinking, uh, believing that they're going to go through the tribulation, or at least half of it. And, and the only idea behind that is, is that, you know, the church really isn't what it should be. And that's always been true. And so we have to go through that to purify ourselves. Folks, our purification comes in Jesus Christ. Okay? You could give me 10,000 years and I couldn't purify myself. Because sometimes it seems like the older I get, the worse I get. The more I struggle. The rapture of the church, First uh, uh, Thessalonians uh, 4.16 and then the third uh, segment here, of, or phase, if you will, is the tribulation saints, and that's what we find here in chapter 20, verse 4. The last group to be resurrected is the Old Testament saints. Okay? We find that in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. You want to write these down. That's important. Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, and Isaiah 26, 19. So we find... That they, the, 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 those will, the, the Old Testament saints, that's where they will come in. Uh, many people believe that they got resurrected with the church. No. No, that's a separate resurrection. Okay. Uh, the Old Testament saints is separate from the New Testament saints or the church, the bride of Christ. 
Um, so the second resurrection is basically unto damnation. So the key is being a part of the first resurrection. Um, and again, there'll be, there'll be people that I, I'm convinced of this. Uh, for perhaps maybe some people we know, maybe some that, that, that we know and love. Could be some children of ours. If we were to get raptured tomorrow, next week, or next year, uh, that would come to faith uh, in Christ during that tribulation period. And so we find that they will be resurrected um, as we see here uh, in chapter 20. Now, we come to verse 7. And as we arrive here, we ask, what is the purpose of the millennium? Uh, you know, and why is the devil given a short parole you know, after this thousand-year you know, lockup that he has? We're told in verse 7, now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. And there's obviously a purpose in that. You know, when you think about this golden, the, the millennium, it's the golden age of Christ. It's where Jesus Christ takes up his throne, you know, in Jerusalem. Now, the devil was banished in his influence for a thousand years. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be, uh, interesting because we're going to have the, the reference of this life and what it's been like to live in a society, in a culture, in a world, uh, you know, where there's demonic activity, you know, where Satan is alive and well, uh, and he's been, done very well to disguise his activities, doesn't he? Because nobody thinks he exists. They, they think he's sort of just a, a, you know, just a figment of someone's imagination, that somebody just sort of dreamed up kind of a thing. I remember thinking that way, but it's interesting. As soon as you come to Christ, it's like, well, <laughs> all of a sudden you're illuminated. All of a sudden you have a revelation. Yes, yes, there is a devil. Yes, he is real. Yes, he is very powerful, and he's at work uh, in the world today. Uh, so he's going to be banished, but Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign in Jerusalem. Um, and this is going to be the closest that this earth or world will ever come to utopian age. This is going to be the closest that this earth has ever come. I mean, you can say, yes, it was utopia under Adam and Eve, but it only lasted under Adam and Eve. It didn't last very long. I wonder how, I always kind of wonder how long did it last? How long did it last? You know, if you or I were there, we would have lasted any longer. Eh, probably not, you know. Um, but you get a sense it didn't last really, really long. But here we have this, this age, this golden age, this millennial period where Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning in perfect righteousness uh, there in Jerusalem. And yet, still sin still resides in the human heart. Even though there's no devil to exploit that and take advantage of people, yet there still will be sin you know, within human nature. And in spite of, you know, in spite of education, uh, and that's what we think today, oftentimes people think, well, we've just sort of, we've educated, we're trying to educate evil away, trying to educate you know, ignorance and sin away. But the fact of the matter is, uh, you know, people in their education become more clever you know, in their sinful you know, wickedness. Uh, we see that you know, easily taking place. Uh, so it's not a perfect environment, and that's, what, that's sometimes what we think. If we clean up the environment, um, if we go up and clean, if we go clean all the inner cities up and make them perfect, there won't be any more crime. And we've proven that one wrong, too, as well, haven't we? That's why it's interesting. When you look at all the different ages, 
the different ages where God has worked in different ways. It's like a demonstration. It's like God is saying, see, you can't rule and you can't run your life by yourself. You can't create a government or a system, you know, of, of laws that is going to perfect you. We need him. We're always going to need him. Even if the devil, you know, is out of the picture. And that's one of the things that we see here. Sin is still, you know, at work in the human heart. And another point that we see that comes out of this here is, you know what? Not all sin comes from the devil. Okay? Remember that great theologian of the 1960s, Philip Wilson? Remember, remember Geraldine? Hey, he was funny, you know? Geraldine would say, the devil made me do it, you know. And no we, no, we do it all by ourselves. We don't need any help at all. I've discovered that. I discovered that. Yeah, the devil there, he's tempting, and he has set up a system of evil in the world today. But, you know, there's times where you just, it, 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 you know, you, you're, just, you're just tempted in your own nature, your own human nature, your own desires that take place, you know, over... Um, you know, when you first begin to read the Bible, you get kind of shocked, don't you, at some of the stuff that you begin to hear, you begin to read, uh, and so forth. And uh, by nature, we tend to be humanistic. But then when you come to the Bible, God has a way of sort of ups, you know, just ups, you know, upsetting all that, turning the tables you know, about some of the ideas and concepts and the things that we believe. And you come over to Je Jeremiah 17, verse 9, and it's kind of a shocker. Because isn't the theology of the natural heart is basically this. All people are good. We know it. All people really, if you dig down deep enough, they're all good. <laughs> we all believe that at one time or another. Now you discover in Christ, the deeper you dig, it's like, oh boy. Ay, ay, ay. Not pretty down there. Look what, look what uh, the Lord says through Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Uh, some translations basically say incurably sick. Isn't that interesting? That's why Jesus so often, he deals with the heart. He says, out of the heart comes murder. Out of the heart comes adultery and fornication and lying and all these things. That they come right out of the heart. And I like, what he's, I like that, that, that translation. It's incurably sick. But, but, it's treatable. Do you ever know somebody with like maybe a, a cancer or leukemia? And I've got a friend like that. And, and I can remember, it wasn't too long ago when you hear the word leukemia, death warrant, death warrant. And he said, you know, I have leukemia, but it's treatable. And that's exactly what the gospel of Jesus Christ and the work of God does for us. There's, there's an, in, in our lives, there's a, there's a, at times, there's just a, a, a sometimes a, a, a desires and proclivities and tendencies to want things or to do things that we know that are not pleasing to the Lord. But we know he's got treatment for it. Amen. That as we, as we you know, come back to the Lord, 
I discovered things in my life and my heart, and just, they just, what they do is they just bring me to the Lord. You see, if you don't have the Lord, where do you go with those things? They just get played out in the life. They, they get accepted. You know, somebody says, well, you know, I, I have this tendency in my life, and I must be born like this, so therefore, I just need to do it. I, I think a lot of people have wrestled with sexual issues regarding that, or gender issues. And the heart without Christ really has no power. I mean, look at, look at, look at all the, the murder that, that is perpetrated, you know, in our country, in our nation. And it's because somebody gets that thought, you know, I, I hate that person. I really hate that person. I, I can't stand that person. And, and it just, you know, logically, it, you just you basically, oh, I, I got I to remove them from the earth. And you know, when I think about the Holy Spirit, he is a wonderful governor in our lives. He's a restrainer. He's a restrainer. And we need that. Human nature needs that at work within our hearts, within our lives. Now, some people in the world, they have a certain amount of maybe conviction, and that's a good thing. But at the end of the day, to really have a life that's really being changed and lining up with God, you've got to have the Holy Spirit. And that's what happens when Christ comes into your life. He imparts to you the Holy Spirit. He gives you power. Power. You know, it's a, when you think about just living the Christian life, that's the most impossible thing in the world. To love your enemies? I don't want to love my enemies. I want to hate them. I can't stand my enemies. And it's only Jesus that, that reminds me how wrong that is and reminds me of his nature and his power and what he can do in my life. I say, okay, Lord, forgive me. Give me your love. And you discover he pours into your life. What's it, Romans chapter 5, verse 5? He pours the love of God you know, into your life and, and into your heart. Oh, how we, we so need him. So the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, rather. Who can know it? You know, there are things that we don't even know about ourselves. I discovered this. I have discovered this, not because I've done it, but I've discovered human nature is capable of anything. Now, the self-righteous person sees somebody do something. Oh, I would never do that. Uh, given the right circumstances. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you have to know the Lord for a while to get to that understanding where you realize that, how frail we are, how in and of ourselves we're weak. And there's one thing that God's doing for you as he's doing for me, and he's making us more and more reliant and dependent upon him. And folks, that's a wonderful thing. That, that's a blessed thing because that's going to keep us out of trouble. Keep us from a lot of failure, from a lot of heartbreak. But verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And so the Lord, again, we don't know our hearts, but he wonderfully does. Now, the thing about life in the millennial reign, it is going to be vastly improved. It's going to be the best there ever was, but you know what? It's still not heaven. 
Some, I've noticed that a lot of times people will read uh, Bible passages and they'll think it's heaven. No. The millennial reign is not heaven. Not yet. I mean, it's going to be heaven for those in their glorified bodies. But for all those that, that populate the earth at that time, and again, there's going to be tremendous population boom because the Bible tells us um, that that'll be sort of pre-flood conditions. You know, people will live six, seven, eight, maybe even 900 years. Can you imagine that? So can you imagine the population, you know, boom that will take place um, during that particular time? Now, Isaiah gives us some insights. Um, he says that Christ, in chapter 2, verse 4, will judge between the nations and settle disputes. So there's going to be disputes. There's going to be national disputes. There's going to be issues that need to be judged and settled. He's going to do that. I think he's also going to dispatch that as well um, to his people. Uh, chapter 65, verse 20 says this. If one dies at 100 years old, they're still in their childhood. So I imagine when somebody uh, at 100 years old, when they die, it's probably as if they're maybe 20 years old, something like that. But it says the sinner will be at 100 will be accursed. And also, too, sin will shorten the lifespan. Doesn't that happen now? Doesn't that happen now? I was just at a reunion, and I saw many of my old friends that I grew up with. As a matter of fact, I just got a message from one of my friends, one of the persons that was at uh, that revival uh, passed away three days ago. And he was the brother of one of my best friends. And I was looking at so many of them and looking, looking just at their lives and the wear and tear of life without Christ. Hey, think about all the cigarettes you didn't smoke, all the booze you didn't drink, all the carrying on you didn't do, all the sin that he's protected us from. That'll keep you alive. That'll give you a longer life. Or at the very least, it'll give you a better quality of life. And then also, too, in 65, chapter 65, verse 25, we see all the predators will become herbivores, become plant eaters. The, uh, the lion will lie down with the lamb, and a child will play by a cobra's hole. Not going to need to have zoos anymore. Zoos will be, will be all over the place. Now, I think the answer when we consider this millennial issue here is under the best, the best, the absolute best, physical, environmental, moral, economic conditions, human nature will still sin. Now, at the end of the thousand years, the earth will resemble a paradise because there's been no wars, no mass starvation. Peace has reigned for a thousand years on the earth. No plagues or no genocide. No major health epi epidemics like that. No econo economic recessions. 
No tsunamis or floods or wildfires. And yet at the end, when things are like paradise, let's read verse 8 and 9. Now speaking here of the devil, Satan, he will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. And isn't it interesting that we have Gog and Magog as one of the, the players again? This points us to Russia. We see that they're one of the players in Ezekiel 28 before the tribulation period, at the end of the church age. So Satan goes out to deceive the nations in every direction, to gather them together to battle, whose number is the sand of the sea, so he doesn't have any problem getting volunteers. They went up on the breath of the earth and surround the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Satan will have no problem sniffing out every disgruntled soul. Every person basically who is angry, bitter, and full of resentment and basically they're upset with the way God has been running the world. That's what it's going to be about. Who does he think he is? I can run my own life. Those things sound familiar? And, and even under the rule and reign, the perfect, the perfect head of creation, God himself, keeping everything in balance, bringing blessing to the earth, you're going to have those that we don't like it. We don't like it. Here's what it proves, folks. You've got to have a new heart. You've got to be born again. We need a new nature. Because even if everything was paradise. It's interesting when you watch these, some of these, um, uh, what do you call them, uh, reality shows. And they're in paradise. They're all squabbling. They're all gr grumbling. They're all complaining. They signed up for it. They wanted to be there so bad. A and they're all lying and competing <laughs> against one another. <laughs> and sometimes I'm, when, I, when I look at some of those programs, I'm thinking, instead of sitting around just uh, calculating how you can you know, beat your neighbor Enjoy the beauty. You're in paradise. It's a beautiful setting. But it's just a revelation, isn't it, of the human heart. And, and what life is like outside of knowing Jesus. You know, Jesus said this regarding Satan. He said, the prince of this world is coming. And he will have, he will find nothing in me. When evil comes to tempt us, what does it find in us? It's to find an opportunity. It's to find something that, you know, the devil can exploit that. You know, here's a question. Is it possible to find contentment? Yes, it is. But folks, it's only in him. You, most of us here, have had a much better quality of life 
I look back at what my parents, my grandparents had. My grandparents never had a car. They never had a car. My first house I grew up in until I was 12 years old, we did not have a bathroom. And I can remember I would never want my friends to come over because I didn't want them to say when they come over, can I use your bathroom? As soon as I knew someone was coming over, I'd fly out the front door. And when you look at the quality of life that we have, but yet isn't there still something in us? There's got to be something more. You can, have, you can have the nicest, most beautiful house. And it's like, oh, I just wish I had a cottage. A little cabin in the woods. And it's always like that. That's, that's, that's our humanity. That's our nature. And, and for me, many times, the Lord has just kind of reined me in. Right? You're not going to be happy. And the world's always dangling something, isn't it? <laughs> you know, the little carrot, Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. You know, here it is, here it is. If you get it, you'll be happy. See, our contentment is in him. Remember, Jesus said this, in the world you're going to have tribulation. But in me, you will have peace. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Amen. Lord, we thank you. You have overcome the world. And as we read this chapter, you've overcome evil, the devil. But Lord, there are still things in us we need you to overcome. Give us contentment, I pray. Give us a love for your Lordship. Lord, help us, we pray, to keep, Lord, our eyes, Lord, upon you. The world's always, Lord, tempting us, always telling us we're, we, we can't be happy the way things are. But, Lord, we discover that in you, and only in you, is peace, is blessing, is contentment. Lord, we thank you for the many things that you have, you've wrought in our lives. The many things that you've given to us. Lord, your favor. Lord, none of us are here in starvation today. We've been richly blessed in many ways, and it's because of you. We're thankful, Lord. We're, we're grateful. We're honored that you would Call us, Lord, to be your sons, your daughters, to know you, to represent you. And Lord, help us, we pray. We've got a lot to tell the world about what you've done for us. Give us a mouth to speak. Lord, give us faith, we pray. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you wonderfully do. We ask all these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.